the snap, looking, flips the ball, diving for the pylon, and he's got it! Razzle-dazzle! Touchdown, Houston! And the Texans go in front! Game day is every day. We had a lot of energy, and we brought a lot of spark for this organization. The best is yet to come. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Ball is out. The Texans say they have it, and they do! Now, it's Texans All Access. Welcome, everybody, to a Monday edition of Texans All Access post-coaches show. Welcome in. Glad you're here with me. I am John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, and still very, very cold after yesterday. One of the craziest weather situations I have ever seen in a football game. Now, I started to think back on my time on the sidelines. In Miami, we had kind of a gully washer for about two minutes and against Miami in 2015 we had snow up in Green Bay the whole time but that was just you know light snow falling which I didn't really mind my shoes got a little wet but other than that I kind of like that I mean I was born an hour north of there so I was kind of used to it in some sense and it kind of made the whole Lambeau experience um, just right if you will until the Texans lost that game but either way I started thinking on the on the plane home, like, man, was there anything else? Because when the national anthem hit yesterday, it was it was wild. That's the only word I can come up with. I, I didn't feel like I was in danger or anything like that, so I can't say I was scared. But it rained as hard as I've ever seen, and then the hail came down. So you had this rain coming down, the hail coming down, and then you had about fifty to fifty-five mile an hour winds. And I literally turned my back to the wind to just keep, you know, try and, you know, hold, get one half of my body, you know, wet as opposed to the whole thing wet. So I turned and there were a couple of times the wind literally just pushed me forward and there were lightning strikes, which I couldn't see from down where I was in the bowl down on my moat on the first row. Cause I didn't see it across the way from me, but it happened apparently behind me. That's what sent the teams in. So it was a wild afternoon in Cleveland yesterday and fortunate afternoon. 10-7, and we won't spend too much time talking about that, but we will have John McClain on and Andre Ware on to talk about that a little while uh, from now, but I usually kick off this Monday all-access show with a run around the NFL, and it was, boy, you talk about the kind of weekend it was, oh my goodness, here are just a snippet of the, the, the scores or the, the, the spreads in those games. Three points, three points, four points, two points, eight, seven, six. Uh, so you had a number of close games yesterday, the Texans being one of those. The Texans, that might have been, I think, the lowest scoring game in the NFL issue that I can think of, 17 points. It surpassed the 16-6 game that the Raiders and the Browns played before the Browns went on a bye. But either way, let's dive in and let's start with Thursday night's game where the Colts traveled to Nashville to take on the Tennessee Titans. And by a gully washer, I mean the Colts rained down on the Titans. Again, that was 17-13 at the half in the Titans' favor. Completely went the other direction. And I shouldn't even go before that. It was 17-10 when Rodrigo Blankenship hit a 43-yard field goal right at the end of the half. That made it 17-13. And the Colts were the only team to score the rest of the way. Naeem Hines... Ran one in from two yards after Trevor Daniel, former Texas punter, botched a punt and kicked it about 17 yards. 
The Colts then took it into the end zone with that Hines run. A little while later, they blocked a punt. EJ Speed came off the right edge, blocked the punt. TJ Carey picked it up, ran it in. That gave the Colts a 27-17 lead. And then a little while later, Jacoby Brissett would score from two yards out on a quarterback sneak, and that would give the Colts a 34-17 win. When the Colts play well, you can look at one area, Rivers. Phillip Rivers was 29-39 for 308 and a touchdown. He did not turn the ball over. And his guy on the night was Michael Pittman. Oh, boy. This guy loved the draft process. And now he is paying dividends for the Colts. Seven catches, 101 yards. Naeem Hines had a touchdown on the ground. He had one through the air. That was enough to beat the Titans that struggled. Tannehill only had 147 yards. Derrick Henry did go over 100, but it took him 19 carries to do it. They could not get much going in the second half whatsoever. The Colts win this thing 34-17. to Ugly, ugly night for the Tennessee Titans. They fall to 6-3. and three. Colts fall to 6-3. and three. But with the Texans at 2-6 and six and the Jags at 1-7, and seven, they're going to finish 1-2. It's just a matter of what order they're going to finish in the AFC South. All right, let's go to Carolina where the Panthers had been playing good football for the most part. And then yesterday came. Again, that was tied 17-17 at the half. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers scored 29 points in the second half to the Panthers 6. Now, Teddy Bridgewater did go down in this game, uh, was banged up a little bit, um, but he threw 18 of 24 for 136. He threw an interception. Uh, that was tough. But the big, big star on this day was Rojo, Ronald Jones. 23 carries for 192 yards, a 98-yard run in the fourth quarter, which essentially kind of, excuse me, the third quarter, that kind of kicked off that scoring in the third quarter. They got a Ryan suck-up field goal that put them ahead 20-17. to 17. And then Rojo ran 98 yards. Then Suckup had a few field goals. Brady had a sneak. Gronkowski scored from seven yards out. And before you know it, it's 46-23. Brady bounces back from that horrible game against the Saints on Sunday night. 28-39, 341, three touchdowns, no picks. No picks. And check out this distribution in the passing game. Antonio Brown, 69 yards, 7 catches. Chris Godwin, 6 catches, 92 yards. Mike Evans, 6 catches, 77 yards. Then the tight ends. Cam Brate, 3 for 31 and a touch. Gronk, 2 for 51 and a touch. Uh, and then Leonard Fournette even had 2 catches for 11 yards. He's got weapons and against the Panthers, he used them. The Panthers, unfortunately, fall to 3-7. and seven while the Tampa Bay Buccaneers move to 7-3. and three. And they get back up on the horse after a rough outing against the New Orleans Saints last week. Bucks 7-3, and three, but they're going to need a little bit of help from teams facing the Saints because the Saints have the season sweep over the Tampa Bay Bucks. All right, let's go to Detroit, where the Detroit Lions took on the Washington football team. And in this one, the Lions jumped out early. They took a 24-3 lead after a DeAndre Swift 15-yard touchdown catch from Matt Stafford. But then the Washington football team climbed back. A McKissick touchdown run. Then two Antonio Gibson touchdown runs. And it was 24-24 with a little over six minutes left in the fourth. Then they both hit field goals to tie it again at 27. But Matt Prater on the final play of the game nailed it from 50 
nine yards to give them a 30 to 27 lead. Matt Stafford brings them back down the field in just 16 seconds. It was only three plays and 34 yards, but it was enough to get Prater just in his range. Now he, I think has hit a 63 or 64 yarder in the past. And I'm telling you, he hit an absolute bomb from 59 yards to win this one. The Lions go to four and five. The Washington football team falls to two and seven. And Matt Stafford had had himself a day. 276 yards passing, three tutties, threw one to Marvin Jones. He threw one to DeAndre Swift. And then he threw one uh, to Hall for 55 yards uh, for a touchdown. DeAndre Swift, 81 yards in the ground. He also had 68 yards in receiving. He stepped in and did a really nice job. That was his first start as a rookie. Washington didn't get much done. Terry McLaurin had 95 yards receiving and 27 yards rushing. Alex Smith threw 390 yards, but he didn't have a touchdown or an interception. It feels like a very Alex Smith sort of game, but the Lions get the win, 30-27. to And in one of the box score hero moments of the day, the Washington football team had 34 first downs and lost the game. 34. How does that happen? 34 first downs and lost the game? Man, what a game it was in Detroit as the Lions beat the Washington football team. All right, let's go up to Lambeau Field where they're having a little bit of weather. Found out from my mom today. They have a little bit of snow today, but yesterday, uh, just cold and windy in Green Bay, but didn't stop the Packers from beating the Jaguars 24-20. to The Jags actually keep this thing close to get it to 24-20, to but cannot make the plays they need to make to win the game. They took a lead in the fourth quarter with a McLaughlin 30-yard field goal, 31-yard field goal. That made it 20-17, to but Devontae Adams caught a six-yarder from Aaron Rodgers to take a 24-20 to and lead, and that's how this one would finish. For the Jaguars, James Robson went for over 100 yards, 109 yards and 23 carries. He's the only one to carry the ball for the Jags. Jake Luton, 169 yards passing on 18 of 35, had a touch but had an interception, and that ended up being a big factor. Aaron Rodgers threw for 325 yards and two touchdowns, but he also threw an interception. And Devontae Adams continues his torrid run through the AFC South with eight catches for 66 yards and a touchdown. That's the difference. Packers have Devontae Adams, and you don't. Packers move to 7-2 on the year, and the Jaguars fall to 1-8. Yikes. But they played hard in Lambeau, man. I got to give it to them. They played tough. They had that lead in the fourth quarter, and it looked like maybe they could pull off the upset. But it didn't happen, again, because of Devontae Adams. All right, in an NFC East battle, this game, man, kind of all over the place in some sense. The Giants win two in a row and two in a row in the division. They beat the Washington football team last week and they beat the Philadelphia Eagles 27-17. to This one kind of back and forth for a little bit, but then in the fourth quarter, the Giants took over. Down 21-7, to Graham Gano hit two field goals to help give the New York Giants a 27-17 lead, and the Eagles could not respond. Daniel Jones, 244 yards passing. No touchdowns, no interceptions. But he had nine carries for 64 yards and a touch. Wayne Gallman, 
running back when Deshaun Watson was at Clemson, 53 yards rushing, two touchdowns, and those tutties would end up being the difference. The Eagles got 85 yards from Miles Sanders. They got a touchdown, 56-yarder from Boston Scott. Corey Clement got in the end zone, but it was not enough. Carson Wentz didn't do much through the air. 208 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. And the Giants, now at 3-7, and seven, are right in the mix. And look, everybody's in the mix in the NFC East. Everybody. But the Giants are 3-7. and seven. The Eagles are 3-5-1. And one by the Eagles yesterday would have put them at 4-4-1. Four, four and one. Somewhat respectable, I guess, compared to what the NFC East has been. But right now, they got the same number of wins as the Giants. But the Giants will be a game back, I think, because the Eagles have a tie and they've got two less wins. So, leave that as it is. When everything ferrets it out, when everything works itself out, I should say. The Giants could be right there. They're playing very well for Joe Judge after losing, I think, their first seven in a row. They've won three in a row now, and they are playing well. Let's go out to Phoenix, where I just have to rip the Band-Aid off on this one, and I'm sorry to do this. I really don't want to do this. DeAndre Hopkins caught a Hail Mary for the Cardinals to beat the Buffalo Bills. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't go any further with that. I, that just stinks too much. All right, let's move on to Las Vegas, where the Raiders were taking on the Broncos. And you remember how I said there were a bunch of close games in the NFL? Uh, this was not one of them. The Raiders housed the Broncos. This one was not even close. The Raiders jumped out to a 30-6 lead with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Sean Hamilton did catch a touchdown pass for the Broncos to cut it to 30-12. to but a Devontae Booker 23-yard run capped the scoring 37-12. Derek Carr didn't do much. This was not his kind of day. But it was the kind of day for Josh Jacobs and Devontae Booker. 112 yards rushing for Jacobs, two touchdowns. Devontae Booker, 81 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Four touchdowns on the ground. They rushed for over 203 yards. The Raiders' ground game got busy against the Broncos. Andrew Locke threw not one, not two, not three, but four interceptions in this 37-12 to 12 win for the Las Vegas Raiders. The Las Vegas Raiders are 6-3. and three. Not going to catch the Chiefs, I don't think. I don't think. But the Broncos fall to 3-6. and six. A promising year at the beginning for the Broncos has turned into an absolute nightmare for Denver as they fall to 3-6. and six. Let's go down to Miami where Tua Tungavailoa has started for three games. And the Dolphins are 3-0. Now, he was facing the man drafted one pick behind him, Justin Herbert, who had had a lot of acclaim and a lot of publicity before Tua got on the field. And so many thought, well, oh, man, Miami screwed up. They should have taken Herbert over Tua. I don't know. I think either one of them is going to prove to be the smart move. Tua yesterday threw for 169 yards. Doesn't sound like a whole lot, but he threw two touchdowns. One to Jakeem Grant, one to Dustin Smythe, his tight end. And he delivered the ball to two, four, six, eight different receivers yesterday in a 29-21 to 21 win. On the ground, Salvador Ahmed from University of Washington, 21 carries for 85 yards. Didn't get a ton done on the ground, but they picked off Herbert once. He only threw for 187 yards, but he did have two touchdowns, one to Hunter Henry and one to Keenan Allen, but it was not enough. The Dolphins come up. Big, 29-21. That's three in a row with Tua at the helm. 
Dolphins move to six and three, and the Chargers are a recognizable two and seven. I say, well, recognizable, maybe more familiar because the Texans are two and seven. So I know exactly what the Chargers are going through right now. Dolphins right in the mix. How about that? My goodness. Six and three. The Bills are seven and three. They're a half game back. Man, Peter King said the Dolphins are going to the playoffs in the offseason. I didn't scoff at it too much, but I thought, mm, okay, I'll believe it. I thought the Bills were on the on the upswing. He might be right. They might not only be going to the playoffs, they might win that daggum division now at two at quarterback. All right, let's go to SoFi Stadium where the LA Rams took on the Seahawks. And I don't know if the Seahawks have been held under 20 points much of this year. That offense has been awesome. But yesterday, the L.A. Rams defense got it done. They held Russell Wilson to 248 passing yards, and they picked him twice. They got him twice, and those were huge. And Williams got both of them for the Rams. Two interceptions as the Seahawks scored just 16 points. The Rams get win this one 23-16. Myers needed a, a, a field goal with 25 seconds left to cut it within seven, but this really was not a close ball game for the most part as the Rams held a 7-10 point lead throughout. Goff threw for 302 yards. Malcolm Brown ran for two touchdowns. Darrell Henderson ran for a touchdown. The ground game accounts for the three touchdowns on the day, and that would be it. 23-16, to 16, the L.A. Rams sticking in this race. Rams 6-3, and three, Seahawks 6-3, and three, and the Cardinals are 6-3. and three. My goodness, what a division the NFC West has been. Speaking of NFC West, would the 49ers stay in the race? No. Saints beat them 27-13. to 13. As Drew Brees had to come out of this game, but he did throw a touchdown. But it was Alvin Kamara, all of 15 yards rushing, but it didn't matter. He had two touchdowns on the ground, and the 49ers quarterback struggled. Nick Mullins, two interceptions on the day. He did throw a touchdown to Brandon Ayuk, but it was the Saints defense that got this one in their direction. Malcolm Jenkins with a pick. Patrick Robinson with a pick. And that would end up being the difference in a two-touchdown win for the Saints. 27-13. to 13. The Saints now the leaders in the NFC South. 7-2 with a 27-13 win over the 49ers. 49ers with all those injuries fall to 4-6. and six. And more than likely with the three teams ahead of them tied at 6-3. and three, Pretty much out of the race. All right, let's go to Pittsburgh where the Steelers were taking on Joey B. Joey Burrow for the first time. And let's just say, not the greatest outing, but to be expected for Joe Burrow. 213 yards. He did have a touchdown, but he was sacked four times. But it was his opposite number, Ben Roethlisberger, who went off four touchdowns, passing 333 yards through the air. Deontay Johnson had 116 yards receiving and a touch. Juju Smith-Schuster had 77 yards receiving and a touch. And Chase Claypool, the rookie from Notre Dame, four catches for 56 yards, and two of them went for touchdowns. The Steelers walloped the Bengals 36-10 to in the Steel City. The Pittsburgh Steelers remain undefeated at 9-0. What a season it has been for Mike Tomlin, Ben Roethlisberger, and 
the 2020 Pittsburgh Steelers. And finally, in Foxborough, you had the Ravens taking on the Patriots on Sunday night. This looked, and I thought going into this game, I didn't give the Patriots much of a chance. I mean, listen to the names on the Patriot offense. Jacoby Myers, Jacob Johnson, Damian Harris, Demir Bird, Ryan Izzo. That's not Gronkowski, Edelman, Amandola, and the sort. That's a group you've never heard of. And yet, the Patriots beat the Ravens 23-17. to And really, at 10-7, to the Ravens had a lead, but then it turned for the Patriots. They ran off the next 16 points in this game. And it really wasn't, it was really not in doubt. Willie Steed caught an 18-yard touchdown pass from Lamar Jackson with eight seconds left in the third quarter. And so it stayed a six-point game on into the fourth quarter, but neither team could put it in the end zone. And it didn't matter to the Patriots. Patriots get it done. Damian Harris, 22 carries, 121 yards on the ground. Cam Newton only had 21 yards rushing, but he did have a rushing touchdown. And Rex Burkhead caught two touchdown passes, one from Jacoby Myers, one from Cam Newton. (laughs) What a night for Jacoby Myers. He led the Patriots in receptions, receiving yards, and he was tied for touchdown passes, 23-17. The Patriots, at 4-5, and now feeling their oats a little bit, get a big win to stay in the race, and now they come to NRG Stadium on Sunday. All right, that was week 10 in the NFL. When we get back, we'll hear from John McClain right here on Texans Access. Can't get enough Texans radio? We've got shows. We've got podcasts. We've got interviews. It's all on HoustonTexans.com. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you by Miller Lite. During this time of social distancing, cheering on the Texans over a beer might look a little different today. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together through Miller time. Whether you're toasting the friends near or far, great taste is always close by. Miller Lite, championship partner of the Houston Texans. Great taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller time this season. You can have the original light beer delivered by going to MillerLite.com slash online and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Now, here's the show. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, and we had a chance to catch up with the General John McClain, who was actually in Cleveland, still in Cleveland, when we had a chance to catch up with him. Well, we talked about any number of things, including the weather and how crazy that was on Sunday. That game yesterday, General, it was, we even saw the sun come out. In fact, on the fourth and goal stop the Browns had, the sun was out for that stop. I mean, it was windy. It, that, it was ridiculous, the wind that we had yesterday there in Cleveland, because it was it poured like I've never seen it. The sun came out at certain points where there's blue skies. Then it was cloudy. Then it rained a little bit. It was all over the place. I thought Houston had crazy weather, but Cleveland might be even worse. Well, it's because they're on Lake Erie. I've been coming here for over four decades, and I've been in 
snowstorms, whiteouts, wind, rain, but no wind like yesterday. And, of course, I've never been in a game where they had to leave the field and delay it like they did for 37 minutes yesterday. And after the game was over and I wrote, uh, I had to shoot my segment for our TV show, Texas Sports Nation. It's on Channel 2 Sunday nights. And Brett Coomer, our photographer, and I went out into the stands and my God, I told I couldn't keep my cap on. And when we were walking to our cars about eight o'clock, and I I had to take my cap off because no matter how tight I pulled it down, and I think, how in the world? I can see you hand off, but how do you throw the ball? How do you kick the ball? How do you feel punts? Isn't it amazing? There were no turnovers in that game. It's incredible. It's incredible. I would have taken one. I would have taken one for us. Just one. And how about you you get turnovers in the kicking game, like people muff punts in indoor perfect condition games, and yesterday it's like, nope, no problem, I'm going to catch this, easy. They worked on it, and I think also in that situation, players focus on it so much, plus uh, they tell them to to be careful, you know, get out of the way, let it hit. I thought we didn't see any 15 or 20-yard punts in that game. Fortunately, instead of swirling like it usually does, it was blowing, you know, in the second half they in the second half they had it at the backs when they had in the third quarter and they were going into it earlier. That's why Romeo didn't want to try a forty eight yard field goal. But that you know, it's amazing. I I talked last week about the Browns. They don't have quarterbacks with high ratings because they're never gonna complete a high percentage of passes because of the weather conditions at home even when it's bright sunshine and 90 degrees in september the wind can come off the lake erie something fierce and while john was pregame tweeting pictures of the field and showing a little a little clouds above i'm watching these clouds coming toward us off of lake erie and you knew it was <laughs> going to be bad you know while we were at the game they had they put out an alert they had powers power lines down they had mobile home damage tree damage they had those warnings all over the cleveland area and and we're there watching a football game no big deal to them that's why they built always want to have a strong running game and boy we saw do they have a two-headed monster when those guys are healthy and that's why baker mayfield will never throw a lot of touchdown passes because seldom are the conditions just ideal at first energy stadium well, I think they also want to keep it under control with him, and they are. I mean, he's cut down on in the interceptions this year. Uh, he still had 15 touchdown passes coming into yesterday, and they're running the ball well. They're a top-five running team. Now they have Chubb back, and they can go back even higher in the rankings where they were number one after four games when he got hurt. General, all right, so let's go over the fourth-down situations. Look, second-guessing is always going to happen when you don't make it in a fourth-down situation. Uh, fourth and goal at the two, were you okay with that one? You know, we debated, we kick a field goal, at least you tie the game, but you're so close, and, and maybe you just take the lead, and, and that's enough. Uh, and also the field goal attempt from 46 yards out, they missed it. It was a fourth and two as well. Your thoughts on those two situations? I had no problem going for the fourth down. My problem was a quarterback draw because they haven't been able to run up the middle most of the season. Now, Duke Johnson had two great runs, 18 and 23 yards. But by and large, they haven't been able to run up the middle. I would have preferred giving him an option of throwing or running because uh, put it in his hands, but not 
where he just, because it's weird, two media people next to me when they were lined up said they better watch the quarterback draw. And I'm thinking, nah, he won't do that the way they're running up the middle. But uh, in the play before, you know, Cobb could have caught that ball. He might have been tackled at the one, but he should have caught it. And yeah. and so I don't have a problem with going for it there. And they got the ball back. You know, they did. They had good field position. When you start a drive at, at the opponent's 49-yard line, you ought to come away with something, right, at least a field goal. And then the other one from 46 yards, the win was at Fairbairn's back. He just missed it wide. I didn't have a problem with that either. I kept thinking at the end if the defense could just come up with a stop and give Watson a chance to get the ball back because that touchdown drive, 90 yards, and, yeah, they benefited from one penalty, but they looked just like there was no win going on that series and they were going into it. So, and then of course defense couldn't do it. That just like defense couldn't do it at Tennessee. Now it's interesting because what team is third rushing in the NFL? The one that's coming to Houston this week. And uh, so they just couldn't stop the run on that play. And, and uh, so, you know, it's it's the fourth loss by one score last year, the Texans were eight and three in one score games they've yet to win but one game on the road last year they were five and three on the road so they're just not the same players are just not doing the things they did last season john what do you think is more maddening oh by the way i knew exactly that was quarterback draw too so if all of us knew it i guarantee you miles garrett and them knew it and i read the quotes they knew it too it looked um, like the left side was open too if he, if he just cut easy for me to say cuz that was the yeah. play call that was the design but if he runs to the left side I would be shocked if he didn't have a chance to dive in and again yeah. easy for me to say but again put on your cape and do it buddy yeah i mean it's unfortunate but either way john what do you think has been more maddening this year the fact the texans can't run the football or the fact that they're not able to stop the run Last year, they were able to run the football. They were ninth in rushing. There was 125 yards a game, 126. And over the last nine games last season, they were awful against the run. I still can't figure that out, how you can give up 84 yards for nine games and then just totally collapse for the last nine games. So the running defense, the run defense was terrible over the last nine last year. And I thought maybe they'd get it turned around, but I had no idea. I thought with all the linemen back, top two tight ends back, and David Johnson uh, and Duke Johnson, Duke averaged 4.9 yards carry last year. He went into this game averaging 2.8. Now he's up to 3.1. David Johnson was averaging 4.0. To me, that's the bigger mystery because we didn't see that coming uh, at the end of last season like we saw the run defense. And the biggest need, they, they don't have a lot of needs on offense. To me, they need a running back and a right guard. And and, and when you get inside the five, as we used to see with Arian Foster, you've got to have a running back inside the five who you know is going to get in most of the time like Arian did. He was money when he was close to the goal line. And he was, hey, he was an undrafted free agent. I'm watching Alvin Kamara. He's a third-round pick. Texans have a third-round pick. You can get running back. So that is the biggest need on offense. Now, the defense has to get a lot of work, the new coach and GM, but uh, – the the uh, running game, it's just almost impossible to win when you can't move it on the ground. All right, John. Patriots and Ravens last night. It looks like New England, our next opponent here at NRG Stadium, 
Looks like New England uh, is ready to put something together here. I know they had that shaky, but it was a win against the Jets. And then against the Ravens last night, weather aided, but they got, got the job done, and they're trying to make a move in the AFC East. They lost four in a row. We're all ready to write them off. They barely beat the Jets. And then they come back and beat the Ravens. I was stunned. I thought Baltimore would go in there and would be able to run the ball with Gus Edwards, Lamar Jackson. They had all their backs healthy. And and here comes Harris and Cam Newton. I've never seen a quarterback with a discrepancy in touchdown passes. I think he's got three and nine touchdowns rushing, second to Kyler Murray's 10. But they run the ball. They're averaging 4.8 yards of carry. The Browns were averaging five, so we know what they're going to try to do when they come in there. And uh, it was amazing. Texans played such good run defense in the first half, and I think they just got worn down in the fourth quarter, especially at the end. We've seen that before. And then, of course, Chubb's 59-yard Run. They should. Uh, Justin Reed almost had him in the backfield. So they got to come back and they got to play a whole game like they played the first half and and most of the third quarter against the Browns. Can they do it? Yeah, they just showed us they can do it. And it's weird when the Patriots came in last year. They had the number one defense in the NFL. They had, I think, the second best record in the AFC at the time. And Watson throws three touchdown passes and he catches a touchdown pass from uh, DeAndre Hopkins, and uh, what a turnaround it's been. Maybe he can, you know, relive some of that magic. Wait, who is that name you just said, that Hopkins guy? Well, <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't never, know what happened to him. Never, never yeah. heard of that guy at all. Yeah, John, where, where, where are they now? Oh, man. Oh, boy. I miss DeAndre Hopkins. I think a lot of you do, too. I can say it. I'm going to say it. And I think Mark does, too. So does the general. Uh, but he's doing a great job in Arizona. We wish him luck. No, don't know any other way to put it. All right, we get back. We will talk to our pal Andre Ware right here on Texans All Access. Download the Texans mobile app for news, videos, alerts, and more on your Houston Texans. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you by Miller Lite. During this time of social distancing, cheering on the Texans over a beer might look a little different today. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together through Miller time. Whether you're toasting to friends near or far, great taste is always close by. Miller Lite, championship partner of the Houston Texans. Great taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller time this season you can have the original light beer delivered by going to MillerLite.com slash buy beer online and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Now, here's the show. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. we got one final segment this Monday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And we have a chance to catch up with Andre Ware. And I asked him right off the bat what his thoughts were on the running back position right now with Duke Johnson carrying the load, CJ Procise and Buddy Howe in the wings. I just look at it as... as- you know, Duke adds a spark, 
but I'm not sure Duke is an every down player. And so there needs to be a compliment to, to Duke Johnson's skill set. And uh, I don't know if that's Buddy Howell. I don't know if it's Procise. Yeah, you just don't know if there's anybody in the building that's that, that compliment or do they sign someone and bring them in? I would imagine they go with the two backs I just mentioned. But um, I thought there were opportunities to run the ball. Uh, there are catches that need to be made. Now, with all that said, there were a couple of opportunities on third down for a couple of catch, a catch or two to be made and certainly in the end zone for a catch to be made when Randall Cobb let one get out of his hands. So, you know, in a tight football game, plays have to be made, and they have to be made at tough times, and it's why guys are, are paid to play this sport. Dre, fourth down and goal at the 2A. Agree with the decision to go for it. B, agree with the play call. <laughs> I have the foresight of being able to look back. So, <laughs> at, <laughs> at, What did you at, feel at the, the time? time at the time, I thought it was the right decision. Um, I really did. And even the look against what the play they ran, I thought was was a, a pretty good call. They just, Miles Garrett just beat his man and made a play. And so, you know, that it's why he's one of the best in the league. It's one of, why he's one of the best doing it. And uh, and, it, and those things happen. But, uh, you know, Romeo Cornell, I know exactly what he's thinking. That's not the last time. And we're going to be down here, so we don't need a three right now. We've got an entire game in front of us. And lo and behold, he didn't, they weren't able to get back down there for, for quite some time. What about the field goal in the third quarter, 46 yards out? They miss it. He had the wind, but he kind of pulled it a little bit. And you mentioned it sometimes into the wind is a little bit easier. But anyway, we can get to that at another time. How would you feel at the time? I mean, I felt like – I mean, I was just hoping he made it. <laughs> you know, there we were. I was just like, whatever you do, make it work. And obviously that didn't work. Well, you hope that wasn't influenced from, you know, an, another space or coaches talking him into kicking the field goal at that point because they were going to go for it there. And the offense was, yeah. uh, was on the field. Uh, they were set to do it. And then with nine seconds on the play clock, they called a timeout. And, uh, and then decided to kick the field goal. So it, it makes you wonder if the earlier uh, non-conversion on fourth down mm-hmm. swayed that decision a little bit to, uh, to go ahead and kick it. And then and at, at that point, you're kind of chasing your tail and no decision that you make is right. And, and so you just hope that wasn't the case. But I was okay even if they had gone for it the second time and uh, with a game being uh, – the way it was and as close as it was. You know, one moment that we haven't talked about, and I got to give Kevin Stefanski a lot of credit because in a game that close, yards and points were as important as time. And Stefanski, after a third and something, I don't know, it was third and five or third and four, something like that, they didn't convert. And the Texans defense runs off the field and they leave their offense out on the field. They were going to punt the whole time. But they just wanted to see how the Texans were going to react to it. And they got set up but then had to take a timeout because something they didn't like that was out there. They took a timeout. That timeout could have played very, very big uh, at the end of that game. But either way, one of the things, Dre, that I'm struggling with probably more than anything else is how you can play pretty solid run defense for nearly all of three quarters. And you really haven't been out on the field much because you've had long drives that in the fourth quarter, it just goes completely to just 
bubkis. Like, get, all of a sudden, it's 161 yards in a quarter in a play. I just don't understand how you can go from one to the other as quickly as it did. I, and I can't explain it. I, it. Can you? What do you think of this run defense and the way it's it's playing right now? Well, it's two fresh backs. You know, that, that, that drive started with Kareem Hunt and him doing his thing and, you know, just turning out yards right down the field. And then all of a sudden, about halfway through the drive, here comes Nick Chubb to, to finish it off. And so when you've got two guys with – and they do a great job of it with fresh legs, then uh, that's that's hard to stop. One guy's a powerful runner that you got to meet with intensity, and the other one is going to run your, ta- run your, uh, your tongue into the turf uh, trying to chase him. And he can be powerful when need be. And kind of going back to the timeout, I think Kevin Stefanski the entire time, his sole mission was to make Romeo Cornell burn a yes, timeout. Yes, absolutely. His sole mission was to make him call the timeout. They weren't going to go for it. They were they were going to make him call the timeout uh, because of how much time was on the clock and was going to punt the football uh, no matter what. As soon as the Texans called the timeout, the punt team was on the field. And, and at that point, you burned a timeout that you knew you know, you might need later uh, in the game if, if you got the football back with a chance to, to go down the field and score and, and go ahead. So it was brilliant on his part. Dre, it's impossible to ignore the record as much as I try. Two and seven, and here you are with seven games to go, and you played on a team that went to an NFC Championship game. You played on some teams that had losing records. So tell me... And by the way, it seems like it was an emotional roller coaster in Detroit because I'm looking at these records for the Lions in the early 90s, and my goodness. Yeah. But you tell me, when when you have it slipping away like this and they need to get it back, but here you are at 2-7, and seven, what happens psychologically to the players uh, when when it's you're up against it like this, where it takes basically a win out to get to where you wanted to go at the start of the season? What happens and, to them mentally, and what do they need to avoid? And as far out into space as that seems, it's it can happen. You know, we've seen it happen. So uh, as long as that's there, I, I think as a coach and as you know, leaders in the organization, you try to focus on that and you keep the players focused on it. Because those teams that, that you talked about in Detroit, uh, there were times when I knew guys had checked out. They were checked out. It was off-season time. Uh, they were already planning vacations, things of that sort. And you just you you hope that that doesn't happen, and that you still get uh, you know quality on the field, and guys are still playing their hearts out. You also have to make them see when it gets to a point when you no longer can make the playoffs that uh, that you're playing for a reason. And 31 other teams, that conversation starts or watching the film and things of that sort. So you get guys continuing to play hard rather than completely checking out and, and the season's over and you still have five, six games left to play and, and you're at everybody's, you know, everybody's trying to get to Houston to play you at that point. So it, it's a it's a very gray area, so to speak, and uh, you just got to try to keep the players as locked in as possible with still an, a chance to run the t- table and other things happen within the division and see if, uh, see if it, there's a light at the end of the tunnel when you when you raise your head. Dre, Mark and I, uh, you know, Mark kind of teases going into the segment. Do you have an unlimited budget? <laughs> Which I don't know if that is or isn't. I mean, I'm, sp- I'm basically spending Cal McNair's money right now. So, and, got a lot and of Janice's, and, Janice's and Hannah. You got a but few bucks. I, I, I'm, I'm spending all their money right now, but I'm giving it to you <laughs> to give to 
the next head coach of the Houston Texans, and you and you alone, no ad hoc committee, no corn fairy, Andre Ware is picking the Houston Texans head coach and Mark Vandermeer. You're going to have to do this as well. So you wait, think. Wait, can, can I jump in here before Dre answers? Because okay. I, I, I know how Dre is. Like, he never gives away his Heisman vote because, like, if the guy who wins, he doesn't want to be like, yeah, I didn't vote for you. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> Uh, Dre, give me like three guys that okay, either yeah. one, any one of these guys, any of these guys you want to okay give you money with. to. Yeah. Who do you want to give another guy to? that we're not even talking about that's going to win a hundred games here and you know, who knows, but give me like three guys. Oh, wow. You guys put me right on the spot. Well, I told you one yesterday that I was, I was thinking about and he coaches in Wisconsin. That? He's the oh, head yeah. coach at Wisconsin. Paul Chris. Uh, yes. He's, he's got pro experience. Uh, he's obviously been a head coach. He runs a pro-style offense with a flair of, you know, the collegiate stuff. And they've got a great running game, which obviously in this league you you have to be able to do so you know the plan is there. But before I did all that, um, I also told you that I would, I would blow the whole thing up. Scouting department, everybody would be brand new. And then I would bring in a general manager and a and a uh, and a head coach. But Paul Chris would be on my list. And I think that's a great place to stop. We went into a number of different candidates uh, when we talked about this and we'll continue to do this throughout the rest of the year to see who we think could be GM and head coach. We all had some theories on it and put our thoughts all right there out for people to have a listen to and I think Dre's got to go into Paul Chris, very interesting and a good developer of talent at the University of Wisconsin. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Big thanks to Dre, to John McClain, to Mark, to all of you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. 10.